continue through the book of Genesis, we will be today in Genesis chapter 25. Genesis chapter 25. Today we come to a shift as we come through the book of Genesis and the narrative focus of the text. Our forefather in the faith, by the way, which, with whom we will all sit down and eat one day, <laughs> Abraham, we will dine with him in the king of heaven, with the king of heaven, in the kingdom of heaven. Today we're going to read about Abraham dying and going on to his reward. And so as Abraham dies, the shift of the focus is going to go from Abraham to Isaac and to Isaac's sons, Esau and Jacob. And as we look at the lives of Isaac and Jacob and Esau, we're going to see some of the exact same things uh, popping up in their story that popped up in Abraham's story. Almost exactly. And so we need to think about what God is teaching us, not only through the life of Abraham, but also through the lives of Isaac, Jacob, and Esau. What we can learn from them, not just what happens to them, but what will happen in our own life. After all, if we are Abraham's children, we can expect that life will be similar for us as it was for them in some way. But what we're going to see above all in the lives of all of these patriarchs and all of their wives is this. God is faithful, and he keeps his promises to Abraham. And in fact, the further we read in Genesis, the more we see these themes repeated again and again of what the people do versus what God does, we will learn that God's steadfast faithfulness is forever to Abraham and to all his children. And in fact, some of the problems that are going to pop up in Abraham's life and the children of Abraham are going to pop up in your life as well. And so we need to know how to deal with that and how God will deal with that as well. So I'm going to read today, beginning in verse 25. I'm going to start reading in verse 7. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah in the field of Ephron, the son of Zoar, the Hittite, east of Mamre, the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with his wife Sarah. After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled at Beer Lahai Roy. These are the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar the Egyptian, Sarah's servant, bore to Abraham. These are the names of the sons of Ishmael, named in the order of their birth. Neboeth, the firstborn of Ishmael, and Kader, and Abdil, and Mibsam, and Mishma, and Duma, and Massa, and Hadad, and Tema, and Jeter, and Naphish, and Kedema. You know, why did I read all these names? Well, because I practiced this week, but also because it turns out to be important. Verse 16, these are the sons of Ishmael, and these are their names by their villages and by their encampments. Twelve princes according to their tribes. These are the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years. He breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. They settled from Havilah to Shur, which is opposite Egypt in the direction of Assyria. Y'all have all been down to Egypt, and you know that Havilah to Shur is the opposite of Egypt going toward Assyria. He settled over against all of his kinsmen. Now, I want to pause there for a minute before we start the rest of chapter 25 and talk about the death of Abraham. We are Abraham's children, and death came to Abraham, and so death will come to us all as well. Even faithful Abraham was gathered by God to his people, and one day you and I both will be gathered to our people as well. 
And the Lord was faithful to Abraham all the days of his life. And just as importantly, God is faithful to Abraham today. For all the thousands of years since Abraham himself walked on the face of the earth, God has been faithful to Abraham every single day of his life. And not only every single day of his life that he lived here, every single day of his life after he has departed, God has been faithful to Abraham. Abraham had some promises made to him that his seed would be great and that it would be the, his offspring would be more numerable than the stars in the sky and than the sands on the sea. And God has been faithful to Abraham to do that. We are the sons and daughters of Abraham to this day. Every single day that God adds another person to his church, he is being faithful to the promise that he made to Abraham. Not only was he faithful to the promise he made to Abraham, his promise, he was faithful to the promise he made to Ishmael. Remember when Sarah was still barren and God said, Sarah's going to have a son, and Abraham said, oh, that Ishmael will live before you. And God said, no. Ishmael's not going to be the heir of the promise, but I will make him great. I will bring from him 12 princes. And boom, here in chapter 25 it says, God did exactly for Ishmael what he promised Abraham he would do. Abraham, this is a little bit out of order chronologically, but Abraham lived to see Isaac and Rebekah have Esau and Jacob. They were 15, Esau and Jacob were 15 years old when Abraham passed away. He lived to see his grandchildren in the fulfillment of that promise. But there are other things which Abraham, when he died, did not see. God told him to get up out of Ur of the Chaldeans to go to a land which he would give to him from the river Euphrates to over to the Nile River north. He had all this land that he was supposed to inherit. But we see here that when Abraham died at 175 years old, the only piece of property he owned in the promised land was a tomb to be buried in, and that was it. He died an alien and a sojourner in the land, never seeing in his lifetime the fulfillment of the promise of God. And so one of the things we need to remember that is God has also promised great and wonderful things to you that you may not see here in this life. We've been promised the deliverance from sin. And yet we will find, as long as we live on this earth, that it constantly besets us. We may never get free in this life of some of the things we desperately wish we would be free from. There are things which we are promised which we will not see until glory. And the same was true for our father Abraham. Remember, we think that we've been patient for the promises of God. Abraham lived 175 years. He sojourned in the land he was supposed to own for over 100 years and never inherited. We won't live 175 years on this earth. And so what I want to say to you this morning here at the death and passing of Abraham is that you are more like Abraham than you think. You may feel like an extremely ordinary person. You don't feel that you are particularly smart. Maybe you're not particularly popular. Your job is just a regular sort of job that you do. You're not particularly rich. Neither was Abraham. He was none of the things which we just talked about. Now, God made him rich toward the end of his days, but... You might not be rich by the end of your days. It doesn't make any difference. The, the narrative has gone to great lengths to present to us Abraham as an ordinary person. He sinned against God. He failed miserably several times. But through it all, he walked by faith in God and all was forgiven. You are much like Abraham. God will be faithful 
to you. Not a single work that you do will be forgotten. And the legacy of your faithfulness to God will certainly be more after you pass than you can now imagine. You do not know what God will do with your faithfulness after you're gone. When your life ends here, your works do not stop. The effect that you have on your children, if you have them, your friends, your spouses, and generations to come, you cannot calculate what your faithfulness will do. Abraham had no idea when he died except for a promise what would happen after he died. I am sure he had daydreams of what God might do, but he had no real idea of billions of people talking about him this morning because of the faithfulness of God to him. He had no idea that God himself, or he did have an idea, but he saw it at a distance, that God Almighty would be incarnate in a man that would be his son. Jesus Christ the Lord, the Messiah, would come to him thousands of years after he died. God was still faithful to him. And the purpose of this narrative is this. You are his children. You are Abraham's seed. And he will treat you exactly as he did for Abraham. You will be blessed. And through you, the nations can be blessed. Because God blesses normal people like you and me. And he will lavish on us the blessings of Abraham, for we are his inheritors. So walk with God, your God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, And if you will walk with him, he will heap upon you and shower his blessing and love upon you just as he did Abraham his servant, just as he is doing for him to this day. His everlasting affection and kindness will be yours beyond what you can think or dream. This is the promise of God in Christ. This is the promise he gave to Abraham and we as his children receive it as well. Abraham died, but his legacy continued. Now let's read in verse 19 what happens after he's gone. These are the generation of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean, of Paddan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red. All his body was like a hairy cloak. So they named him Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding on to Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. This story here is a repeat of something we've heard before. The Bible says here that Rebecca is barren. And the story sort of glosses over this a bit. We, we go on from her being barren to her having Esau and Jacob. But what I want to point out to you today, it's not drawn out like it was with Sarah, but she wasn't just barren for a little while. The Bible says here that Isaac married her when he was 40 and she did not conceive and have children until he was 60. It was 20 years of being barren. 20 years. 
Now we saw through Abraham and Sarah that all those years of her barrenness weighed heavily on the mind of Abraham because he knew that the promised seed had to come through Sarah. And now Isaac is the inheritor of that promise and he knows that the only way that this promise is coming to pass is through Rebekah, his wife. And for 20 years he was, she was barren. And don't think for a moment that when it says here that Isaac prayed to God and he heard the prayer and opened her womb that for 20 years Isaac hadn't thought, hey, maybe I should pray that Rebecca would have a baby. That's not how it works. I'm sure they probably started getting real nervous after year two. I am sure that Isaac spent many days and many hours, and Rebecca as well, praying to the Lord to open her womb that she might have children. Look, the patriarchs that we love, that are our uh, ancestors, and also the matriarchs, Sarah and Rebecca, these are not people that just because they were blessed of God walked around without a problem in the world. They had lots of issues. In fact, we're going to find next week that Isaac and Rebecca have to take the boys and move because everybody where they're living is starving to death. We have never had that problem. We, it has, can you imagine if food got so scarce in Alabama that people just had to start moving and going wherever they could to try to find food? That's what happened to Isaac and Rebecca. Not only that, but they were barren for 20 years. Isaac had to pray to the Lord, please. Lord, you made a promise to Abraham that through his seed all the nations would be blessed. That through his, that his offspring would be like the stars in the sky and the sand on the sea. And I can't have any kids. And thus the promise, it seemed, would end with him. Isaac prayed. And eventually, after 20 years of intercession, the Lord opened Rebekah's womb and she conceived. Another thing to notice here is the reversal of an expectation. So Rebecca does get pregnant, and she's happy, I'm sure, and Isaac's happy, but she feels like she's about to die because these babies are rolling around in there fighting. She doesn't know what's going on, so she does the right thing. She goes to inquire of the Lord, and she's like, Lord, and it may not make much sense to you, like, if it's going to be like this, what is up? She's like, look, I'm fixing to die. Why in the world, after 20 years of praying to get pregnant, are you about to kill me with this baby? Because, you know, back then it didn't have the sonogram. She didn't know there was two in there. And the Lord said, there's two kids in there. And they're fighting. But the older will serve the younger. Now, that's a reversal of expectation. We've seen this already before. Remember, Ishmael was the firstborn. But he did not receive the promise. Here, Esau will be the firstborn. He also will not receive the promise of God. So why, then, did God choose Esau I mean, choose Jacob over Esau. Why did God choose Jacob over Esau? He did that because that's what God wanted to do. And he's going to do this again. He's going to choose Judah. And Judah is not the oldest son. Reuben's the oldest son. God chooses against expectation for the younger to rule over the elder. God did not choose Jacob. This is, we can rule out why he didn't do this, okay? God did not choose Jacob because Jacob was a better man than Esau. Jacob was just as bad as Esau. In fact, Jacob's name means deceiver or cheater. When he was holding by the heel, when he comes out in the name of Jacob, that means heel grabber, which was kind of a, a, a euphemism then for somebody who would cheat you. You say, that is so silly. Why would somebody say heel grabber means to deceive? Y'all all say pulling my leg. <laughs> what does that even mean? So, yeah, okay, look. Jacob had to live his whole life in our colloquial. His name was pulling my leg. 
Can you imagine? And Esau was hairy man. <laughs> they, 20 years they had to think up names for these kids, and they pop out, and we're going to call him Red Hairy Guy, and we're going to call him Pulling My Leg. <laughs> I love the Bible. So there they are born. He's not any better than Esau. He's not. Esau is not a good guy either, but neither is Jacob. Jacob is a trickster. He's a deceiver. What's the point? The Bible says in Romans chapter 9, verses 10 through 12, Rebecca had, when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. That's Romans 9, 10 through 12. This had nothing to do with uh, foreseen decisions that Esau and Jacob would make. This had nothing to do with whether or not one boy was better than another, this was to demonstrate that God has the power to choose and to do however he pleases. So the reason that Jacob received the promise is because God wanted to give it to him. And the, but you may think, well, man, that seems unfair to Esau. Well, not really. Esau didn't deserve it, and neither did Jacob. The purpose is that God gives it to Jacob by grace. Now, here's the good news. Once God has given it, no one can take it back. Not even Jacob. And so God is going to work, as we will see, through the life of Jacob to change him. He's going to change his name. He's not going to be hill snatcher forever, hill grabber. He's going to be Israel. God will change him. God will stay with him. God will bless him. And through Jacob, all nations will be blessed. Why did God pick Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldeans of the place of Babylon? Why did God pick him? We have no idea other than God's grace. Why did God pick Noah in the days of the great flood? Noah found grace in the eyes of God. We have no idea. It is not because any of these people did anything particularly good. It is because God did something particularly good to bring salvation through them. Now, what does this have to do with you? You are God's chosen people. You are the ones whom God has chosen to place his blessing upon. And when God chooses to bless a people, they will be blessed. Now, I don't mean that you're going to be rich, not in monetary terms here you might be i don't know but i do know this you will be richly blessed through grace you will have joy untold by walking in christ you will have joy untold by following jesus and your life will prosper through jesus maybe not in money but in spiritual things and blessings that one day you will you will sow today in people spiritual blessings and one day you will reap a bountiful harvest of sheer grace God doesn't do things like we expect. He doesn't do things like we think he might. He didn't give the firstborn the promise. I'm reminded of another time God didn't do what we expect. I like this story too. Remember Samuel and everybody said, oh, let's have a king. And so they anointed Saul to be a king. He was a head taller than everybody else and he looked super handsome. He turned out to be a lousy king. And so God calls Samuel and he says, Samuel, go to the house of Jesse. He got a bunch of boys. And I want you to go eat with them. I'm going to show you who's going to be the king of Israel. Y'all remember this story? So Samuel shows up. And look, just so you know in the story, if you go back and read it, Jesse is not, it's, it's a weird thing when Samuel, the previous judge of Israel, shows up at your house and says, hey, I'm going to eat supper with you. And Jesse's like, okay. What do you say to the man of God when he shows up, uh, the prophet and judge of Israel, when he's going to say, I'm going to eat with you. So he's eating with you. And, and this is what it says. So Jesse calls in his sons, and they're about to eat supper, but they're all standing around before they eat. It's a little bit 
awkward. And when they come up, Samuel sees Eliab. When they came, Samuel looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Eliab must have been a handsome guy, looked like a leader. And Samuel said, I bet you a dollar, that's the dude. But the Lord spoke to Samuel and said, Do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature, because I've rejected him. For the Lord sees, not as a man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And so Samuel goes, well, I ain't the one. So he goes before each boy. He thinks, well, this must be the one. This must be the one. And every single one he goes through, God says, that's not him. And he runs out of kids. So Samuel's standing there and he goes, hey, Jesse, you got any more sons? I mean, he had six there. I mean, he got, he said, yeah, I've got one, the youngest. He's out in the field. He's uh, tending the sheep. And Samuel says, go get him. We ain't sitting down till he gets here. So off they go. They get David, the youngest. Of course, you know, when he shows up, the Lord says, that's the one. Anoint him king over Israel. The Lord does stuff like he pleases, but he is good in all that he does. And he might reverse our expectation of what we think life might be like for us, for our kids, for our friends or whatever. But I will tell you this, if we will follow his Christ, the greater son of David, the greater son of Abraham, we will be blessed along with our forefathers and foremothers. As I was studying this passage this week and thinking about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and as I was thinking about Sarah and Rachel and Leah and Rebecca, all I could think about was that one day we are all going to be gathered as their children and sit and eat at their table. That all of us as one big happy family by faith are going to sit and eat with these folks with Christ as our host. This is an amazing thought that when you read the Old Testament and you read of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and you read of the things that they and their families went through, you are reading your history of your people. We are not Israel by flesh, but we are family by faith. And we will eat at their table, not as strangers, as foreigners, but as beloved children. Every time our father, Abraham, sees one of us, he will see the faithfulness of God. He will know your story, and you will know his. He will love you like a child, and you will love him like a father. Such it will be in the kingdom of heaven. And all the things that you don't know, as you've labored in Christ, you don't think much of yourself, and in some ways we shouldn't. But in others, we underestimate the blessing and bounty of God that he works through us as we labor day by day doing ordinary things. What extraordinary thing, think about it, maybe you've read it before, what extraordinary thing did you ever read that Isaac did? Or Rebecca? Or Sarah? What extraordinary thing did they do? They did a lot of ordinary things. Ordinary people like us. But God bless them. You may not think much of yourself and your work. You may not see anything special about yourself. And you may not be very special by the reckoning of the world. But you are a treasure to the Lord. And in you he has placed this mystery. The fullness of his spirit. That you might be a blessing to the nations. 
in these earthen vessels, in these clay pots. That's us. He has placed his spirit because we love, he loves us. We are a treasure. You are a special daughter. You are a special son. You are a child who faces down Satan every single day, whether you know it or not. We are taking this gospel against the gates of hell, and they will not prevail against us. We are the children of the living God. And there is no way a single child of his will appear before his throne empty-handed. He will see to it that our testimony is adorned with good works, that we may not be ashamed at his appearance. This is the promise to the children of Abraham. Now, I don't want you to feel too sorry for Esau because we're going to see something here in verse 28 of chapter 25. Once, when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, Let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore his name was called Edom. This guy got the worst nicknames. He was Hairy Man and Red Soup. <laughs> Jacob said, Sell me your birthright now. This is crazy. So his brother comes in from the field exhausted. He's making some delicious soup. And Esau says, Hey, bro, I'm about to die. I want to eat some of that red stew. And Jacob said, Sell me your birthright. What? What does Esau say? I'm about to die. What use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew. He ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. God did not choose Esau. It's not because Esau despised his birthright. He did not choose Jacob, I mean, he chose Jacob out of sheer grace, but what we see here is Esau didn't deserve the birthright in the first place. Neither did Jacob, but Esau didn't deserve it. When it says here he despised his birthright, it's not just that he sold it for a bowl of soup. It's that he didn't care anything about it. All the promises of God that had been lavished upon Abraham and Isaac, their forefathers, Esau did not care. And in this passage, Esau represents to us those who hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, all the great promises which I've talked about just this morning, the beautiful treasure that is ours through Christ our Lord who has died for our sins, risen from the dead, that whoever believes in him will never perish but have eternal life. Hearing all of those things and the great promises that we will sit down and eat with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all of our forefathers and foremothers and the whole church gathered together. When you hear all that, and you walk out and you live and you sell your birthright for a bowl of soup. For a quick peek at internet pornography. When you act like your marriage vows don't mean anything and you mistreat your spouse. You're selling your birthright for a mess of pottage. As it says in the King James Version. Don't do that. Because the most heartbreaking thing perhaps you will ever read in scripture is burn it in your heart. I actually want Esau to be in heaven. But this is what the word says in Hebrews 12, 17. This is after he sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, Esau was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. 
That is the most heartbreaking thing I can think of. When the time comes and Isaac is dying and he blesses his boys, as we will see, Jacob gets the blessing and Esau comes in and Isaac says, I'm sorry, son. I've blessed your brother and he will be blessed. And Esau weeps and says, oh, my father, is there no blessing left for me? He despised his birthright for a bowl of soup. The word of God says that Moses would rather spend his life suffering with the people of God to enjoy the pleasures of Egypt. The pleasures of Egypt, that's the pottage. That's the bowl of lentil soup. You might read Esau and think, man, that was dumb for him to sell his birthright for a bowl of soup. How many times do we sell out for our fleshly appetite? Don't be Esau, the hairy man. Don't be Esau. They called him for the rest of his life. Red soup. As a constant reminder that the birthright that was his by birth was sold for a bowl of soup. Brothers and sisters, don't be like that. But hear me now. Esau got what he wanted. He got his bowl of soup. One day, one day, when your time has come, All the pleasures of this world will be like a bowl of soup. If you have sold out for that. Everything here is dust and ash. Invest in the kingdom of God. And when you die, you can go in peace. Be gathered to your fathers. Oh, hear me. Hear me this morning. There were two boys born to Isaac. And there are two people, kinds, in this room. Every single one of us hearing the promises of God that are offered to us. Will you be like Esau and sell out for a bowl of soup? Or will we be like Jacob who in the end wrestles with God and says, I will not let you go until you bless me. That's who we want to be. If you will be the one who is a child of Abraham by faith, then you will be forever blessed. Go to Christ today and cling to him and never, ever let go. Let's pray. Father, we pray this morning that you will help us. Lord, you are gracious and you are kind. You did not owe salvation to a single one of us. Not a one of us deserve your grace. Not a one of us merit your favor. There is no good thing in us to draw your affections toward us. You have chosen us and called us out of your pure love and grace. We love because you have first loved us. And so, Father, we pray this morning that you will continue with us in your steadfast love as you did with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Sarah and Rebecca and Rachel and Leah as they went as our ancestors did before us in the faith we pray that you will be faithful to us and that we will be faithful to you god help us be your people i pray for anyone in here today whose